I found this thing, and I think this is just amazing, and I think it's a great way to start off the discussion we're going to have. Um, this is from the uh, Best of Nextdoor app <laughs> or uh, Twitter account. Um, and I'll just I'll just read this. So uh, this is a, a PSA. Halloween is officially four weeks away, and I was hoping to catch you all before you made your candy selections. Over the last three Halloweens, I've noticed candy stock has become more and more diluted with cheap candy. I don't know if this trend is the result of higher bills or even the new constructions, but cheap candy has somehow infiltrated our community for Halloween, and it has to stop. Dum-dums, Smarties, and Jolly Ranchers may be suitable for Ontario, Fontana, and even Montclair, but not here in Rancho Cucamonga. We're an affluent neighborhood, and this status should be reflected in our candy provisions for Halloween. Standard, full, or king-size candy bar, candy is the bar, pun intended, we set for our community on Halloween. If you purchase the fun size, you don't need to return them. Just keep in mind that four to six of those fun size bars equate to a standard size bar when you dole out that candy to trick-or-treaters. And please, for God's sake, leave those peep candies alone. No one, and I mean no one... Once those terrible marshmallow tragedies <laughs> for the elderly who hand out coins, unless you plan on throwing some quarters into the mix, stop peddling your pennies and step up your game this Halloween. It's a calculated loss to the trick-or-treaters after you adjust for inflation and the opportunity cost of what they could have received elsewhere if they had just skipped your house. So, happy Halloween, everybody. Fully automated <laughs> luxury trick-or-treating now. <laughs> I like uh, I like the idea of, like, trick-or-treaters doing, like, min-max projections right. and, you know, figuring out. To, I mean, you, you definitely did that as a kid a little <laughs> bit, like, figuring out, you know, which streets had the most houses on them so you weren't wasting a bunch of time. But honest to God, like, full king-size candy bars, that's the kind of shit that they used to give out at... Uh, you could go trick or treating at Warren Buffett's house, and it was always like the <laughs> like the one pound like Hershey's chocolate bar. He'd give you like a one penny, like a penny stock. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's like this is just a, a fr random fracking company, you know, in South Dakota. You know, maybe could be good. Who knows? <laughs> I like the fact that they were like, "Hey, this might fly in Ontario, <laughs> right. but this is Southern California, where it's like, right. what? Like, why are they throwing Ontario under the bus? Like, are they? Does Ontario well, no, have I, a national reputation? I think international reputation is low on candy. I think these, I think these other places. <laughs> I think it must be from Canada because I think the other places named Ontario, Fontana, and Montclair. I think those are all Canadian. So yeah. apparently, this is this is like Rancho Cucamonga, Rancho Cucamonga, uh, <laughs> like Vancouver, or whatever. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they are they are right about peeps, though. So I have to I have to credit the argument with that. Peeps are peeps are, are an Easter candy. Yeah, yeah, oh, he... yeah. On top of it all. <laughs> oh, they got ghost peeps. I've got to be honest, though. As a Brit, all of those places sound fake. I don't believe any of those places. I mean, Rancho Cucamonga, really Canada, exists. is is the most like affront to God name for a town possible. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's how you know it's like a legit startup, you know, rich people community oh, yeah, yeah. where they were like, "What should we call this?" And it's like, "Let's just name it a uh, like after a California suburb." <laughs> you know, that's what we're going for up here. Yeah, we're we're, we're twenty <laughs> miles so north of the Gatineau, and we're gonna name our place like Rancho Paradiso or something. Right. <laughs> we literally didn't have anybody who spoke Spanish in this country <laughs> until like the last twenty years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I can't, can't, can't confirm this or not. But Rancho sounds absolutely fake. 
Uh, and also trying trying to you know maximize the the logic of capitalism in the most left wing holiday it's just it's not okay we can't let that slide that's right well that's what next door is for true <laughs> yeah i mean i do have to say like if you're in a rich ass neighborhood like you shouldn't be giving out the cheap candy like that's just that's it that's just not cool but like i just want to know how rich this neighborhood is you know like if this is just some normal middle class ass neighborhood you know i'm I'm gonna give it a slide but you gotta step up your game if you're rich you know share the wealth and i'll say like a single jolly rancher does seem a little stingy on halloween but is anybody doing that usually you get like a handful of them yeah, it's you know every neighborhood I think has its own little flavor. Um, you know I'm committed to giving out cheap candy no matter what. Uh, you know <laughs> I'm just going to give these kids straight trash uh, just so that they you know they learn that they need to work for it. You yeah. know if I see a good costume, that's when you pull out the king size. <laughs> you know no handouts at this Brendan's house. Brendan's banking the bullshit candy from last year. He still right. has like some dry ass <laughs> packages of like raisinets that his kids brought home and nobody wanted to eat. <laughs> I love the idea of bootstrapping Halloween. Right. That's, yeah, I, I like that's the, the merit-based mo- approach most, here. That's the most North American thing I've ever heard in my entire goddamn life. Yeah, I, I only give the king size bars to the kids who have the integrated Halloween app. <laughs> Podcast. I am Matthew Hodges from Arlington, Texas, and joined from Omaha, Nebraska, by my co-host Brendan Williams. Hey, Brendan, how's Spooktober treating you? Man, you guys just missed the chainsaws. Uh, unexpectedly, my neighbor has arranged for like a fall tree trimming, so I'm just like hanging out, like, "Hey, time to get ready for this podcast," and it's like. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm really in the mood yeah. for, for some more. You should have gone out and recorded a little bit of it. We could have played it during the background. Oh, well, we're also joined by an old fiend of the show, John, the Lit Creek guy. Hi, John. Hey, how's it going? It is a delight to have you back. And you were joined also by your co-host on Horror Vanguard, Ash. Hey, Ash, welcome to the show. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. So uh, we asked you two to uh, to join us for this little mashup episode because, um, you know, it is spooktober and we like to do a lot of Halloween themed stuff. And you two are, you know, the, the experts going on the topic right now. So um, <laughs> I, I gave everyone some homework. We're going to watch. We, we watched um, three terrifying tales of mob violence, um, the collapse of society resulting from the failures of, of norms and authority, um, social ostracism, um, lots of sublimated psychosexuality. <laughs> uh, and, and of course, what I'm talking about is um, kids' Halloween films. <laughs> oh, I thought we were talking about Brexit. <laughs> hey <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> so yeah, for for this program, we watched uh, we watched three films that are ostensibly for children: um, Ernest Scared Stupid, Hocus Pocus, a, a Halloween classic, and Paranorman, which was new to me. 
and uh, I, I thought that it would be fun to kind of explore some of the some of the themes that we saw in these movies. So, um, yeah, I don't know. To, uh, just to kick us off, what was everybody's favorite of these three that we watched? Well, Hocus, yeah, Pocus, Hocus Pocus is an all-time classic. You, you can't beat Hocus Pocus. Yeah, but by, by a country mile. Just an absolute classic. I, I was, you know, pleasantly surprised by Ernest Scared Stupid, <laughs> which I was prepared to hate watch. Yeah. Um, but... It is an impressive film it's, in so many ways. It's not a good movie, but it is not without its own like special charms. Uh, I have to be honest. Um, I've I've never felt more like someone who isn't from America than watching Ernest <laughs> Get Stupid. <laughs> it is quintessentially midwestern. It is the most midwestern of these. Oh, films. I feel like I I feel like I had a cultural education watching that film. <laughs> That's what it's like. Every day here. It's amazing. Well, yeah, I think we should, uh, maybe we should lead off with Ernest Scared Stupid, because I think of the three, it's probably the weakest one, but also uh, interestingly sets up some of the themes of, like, all three of these movies that we watched pretty well. So, uh, for anybody who hasn't seen Ernest Scared Stupid, this is part of the the Jim Varney Ernest series of movies, uh, where... Ten films. Yeah. Ten films. It's the Ernest uh, Cinematic Universe. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, Ernest gets um, wrapped up. He's he's hanging out with these kids, and they decide to build a treehouse on top of a, uh, a cursed tree under which a, I, a troll lives. I have to talk. So the reason that he builds a treehouse <laughs> is because of Botswana and the Ottoman Empire? Did you guys catch this? <laughs> yeah. What in the <laughs> fuck was that shit? I, I will, absolutely insane. I also I also love that it's set in this town where everyone goes, "Oh, hey, there's the slightly there's a slightly weird guy who's the garbage man. Of course, you can go hang out with him unsupervised in the woods." <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, a kid just comes up to him and he's like, "Ernest, you know, I'm being bullied at school. You're a garbage man." Like, <laughs> <laughs> Probably have some experience. Well, let's go into the woods <laughs> alone to talk about how you're feeling. Oh, that with, with I was gonna say that that magical time where where people like Ernest P. Worrell and Pee Wee Herman can just go run away <laughs> with a group of school kids and nobody'd even bat an eye. Right. So, uh, so, so as this movie progresses, so this troll comes out. You know, it's a uh, like 300 year old troll um, comes out and starts uh, basically like stealing kids' souls and turning them into little wooden figurines. And his plan is to, uh, once he gets five of them, uh, he'll be able to spawn an entire new race of trolls and they're going to, you know, like eat all the humans and take over the world. Um, and, and ultimately, I think the theme of this movie really is uh, stranger danger, <laughs> right? So so you got um, the... Uh, it's it's a very like early '90s sort of approach to this problem where um, like kids are disappearing all the time, and that was absolutely a thing that was like mm -hmm. on the on the nightly news um, every night uh, during that period. So you've got yeah, so you've yeah, got like, like John Bonet, you know, all, the, right, all that totally. stuff is happening. So you've got these kids like disappearing all over the place, and yet. The one guy who seems to be with the kids right before they disappeared never gets questioned <laughs> about it. It's like Ernest is completely like immune to any of this concern about all of these children going missing. My favorite joke in the movie is when 
they have like a town meeting eventually at the end where they're like, hey, these kids are missing. Like, what's going on? Um, you know, the cops, you need to look into it. And the cops are just like, whatever. They're, you know, they're kids. You know, they're just going to disappear for a few days. You know, what's what's the big deal? <laughs> right. um, and then they all the townspeople are getting mad. But then one guy's like, my garbage has not been picked up. <laughs> <And> like, <laughs> it's like, Frank, three, sit the fuck down. Like, there, there are more important things we can do. Like... You know, write a letter or something. You you were not important at this moment. Is that guy from Rancho no, Cucamonga? I, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I mean, the, all the pieces were there for them to put it together. You know, the kids are gone. Garbage isn't getting picked up. Like, there's something going on clearly here. Like, the secrets were, were there just waiting yeah, to be Yeah, Ernest uncovered. literally just showed up at the sheriff's house and he's like, a troll is stealing. Like, <laughs> I was with your kids out in the woods and a troll, like, took them. And the, the cop's like, oh, Ernest, like, you need to go sleep it off, buddy. You know, <laughs> you know I, well, I, didn't, really... I didn't think about that. Uh, like, like the whole like th- this totally maps on to like the 90s child stealing terror. But like, you know, like one of the truths of that was like everybody was so worried about like satanic cults and like all, all of these like horrible external forces coming in and snatching your children like some creepy giant bird. When in reality, like, it was always just somebody's uncle. Like, it was the trusted family friend or the youth <laughs> right, pastor, yeah. right? right. Yeah. So it wouldn't, yeah. it wouldn't have been yeah, was... Ernest, the, the town, like, absolute insane weirdo garbage man. It would have been, like, <laughs> the trusted guy next door. It was that guy who was complaining about, about his garbage. garbage not being picked up. <laughs> He's like, I've got some stuff in the garbage that I really need to get rid of. Like, really, very quickly. <laughs> Gotta get rid of all this evidence. <laughs> What I did sort of find weirdly endearing about this film is, uh, as someone who has never come across uh, the Ernest Cinematic Universe, uh, it's much better than the Marvel one. Um, Easily. (laughs) Easily, easily much better. But what I really loved about this was, like, from the offset, all kind of parental authority, all kind of authority generally is completely useless. So it's not even like something happens and then it's revealed that, like, the police is useless and the parents are useless. But from the offset, they're always like, don't go hanging out with, the, with that Ernest. And, and they do. And the parents are just like, it happened again. Why yep. are we so bad at this? <laughs> yeah, that is a perennial recurring theme in pretty much all children's Halloween movies is that there needs to be some sort of like storytelling device where it's just like, why are there children? Like, why are children dealing with this? And some movies handle it, you know, a little bit better than others. But, you know, I think all three of these movies have a different mm-hmm. explanation of, like, where are the adults in this situation? <laughs> right. And why are, is it not working? Yeah, I mean, totally. You know, and, and all three of the movies had um, some kind of recurring themes that really stuck out to me. Um, and, and it makes sense, right? So all three of them take place in a small town. In all three of them, the adults are absent or otherwise completely useless, and all three of them have uh, bullies as yeah. as characters or, or plot drivers. Um, and that makes sense, right? Because those are the things that kids uh, can identify with. Like, a kid's entire world is just, like, the small part of town that they live in. Even if you live in a big city, you only, as a kid, you only know, like, basically your trick-or-treating neighborhood, and the the big villains in your life are the bullies and the like useless adults who don't get you and trolls and trolls yeah and trolls and immortal <laughs> and witches. witches and zombies sure. you know <laughs> yeah just everyday you know suburban life in a small town in America. <laughs> 
I, I was about to say, I really do hope that in every small suburban town in America, there is at least one person who's basically Eartha Kitt. Like, <laughs> yeah. Eartha yeah, Kitt, who was doing zero fucking acting in this film and just Eartha decided Kitt, to show up one day. What are you doing day. in this movie? Oh, my God. Yeah, she's amazing. it is a very strange role. But it's really all her fault because she literally just explains to Ernest. She's like, now, Ernest, don't do the magic ritual that summons trolls. And here's how to do it. Right. <laughs> and then he gets to the location and it's like, well, it was either don't do it or do it. And I, ooh, point flip. <laughs> you know, and that's the thing that, that also pops up in all three of these movies. There's a ritual that has to be done. And either doing the ritual or not doing the ritual ends up kicking off the entire plot, which is, I don't know, like, none of these, it's like, uh, it, it says something about, I don't know, adults maybe think kids think that there's always danger lurking in the background, but you have to, like, say the right words or fail to say the right words at the right time uh, to make that evil real. I think that's more of a safety blanket for, for parents than it is for kids, frankly. A hundred percent. Like, because kids know that the world is, like, the person who was really good at this was Roald Dahl, who is deeply problematic in, in many ways, but completely understood the point that kids totally get that the world is fundamentally uh, not comprehensible, and, like, random horrible stuff can just happen. The best example of this is, is James and the Giant Peach, which opens with, yeah, your parents could just be eaten by a rhino. <laughs> right. <laughs> yep. And that's that's yeah, that horrifying. That's genuinely horrifying. But it isn't. I think I think the idea that you know it's the right words that you say or you don't say is how the bad thing happens. That's a comfort for parents. Kids watch it and we go, well, if you told me what the ritual was, I'd probably do it anyway just to see what would <laughs> <Right>. happen. <laughs> yeah, it's the big red button on the wall that says "Don't push this." Yeah, but I think you know one of the great things about all three of these movies too is that. They and, you know, this Ernest especially is just they hold up because of the incredible practical effects <laughs> um, and those the trolls in this movie are amazing. And they were done by the same uh, like effects studio that did killer clowns yep. from out of space from outer yep. space. Um, and you can actually see that some of those are like the molds are like reused where they just took the killer clowns and like painted them like brown or gray. <laughs> right, yeah. Added some snot to them and yep. Oh, it, it is the most disgust. There is so much snot in this movie and um, the milk, oh, all the yeah. milk is just absolutely <laughs> right. disgusting. And the funniest part to me was that the reason that it's funny that it's milk and that he has like the book and he doesn't know that it's milk because uh, he gets that book and he's like, it's Miak or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but the joke is because Ernest, the character, started as he was hired to do local commercials for like a dairy company. No um, kidding. So he did like milk commercials where he was like, oh, it's the, just the freshest milk from Pure Farms Dairy or whatever the fuck. That's and, a pretty like, good Jim Barney Joker and all this stuff. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's so it's it's an extra hilarious gag that is now lost to the ages of time where you're like, oh, like Ernest wouldn't know milk. It's like his favorite <laughs> thing in the world. He's always talking about it. The deepest That's Ernest lore right there. Yeah, yeah. That, that must have killed in 1991. <laughs> oh, dude, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that was how he got famous is that he literally did like local commercials and then get ended up getting hired by 
like an LA production company to produce more commercials because he was so compelling as like a weird, just weird caricature guy where he's just talking directly to the camera all the time and just mugging it up. And I mean, it's almost like a Robin Williams esque mm-hmm. shtick that he does as, as Ernest. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's impressive. My favorite Ernest thing is uh, in Ernest Goes to Jail, uh, <laughs> Ernest plays dual roles where he plays Ernest, but he also plays the like serial killer who's trying to escape from jail, um, <laughs> who looks exactly like Ernest, and he wants to do like a body switch with oh, him yeah. to escape from prison. Um, and yeah, dude, I could totally believe that Ernest is a serial killer <laughs> now that I've seen that, for sure. Well, I was watching this with a friend last night, and uh, she was speculating that this the whole movie is uh it's it's actually just a psyop by like big milk, <laughs> by the, like like the milk producers. She's one hundred percent right because that is that is how this movie got made. Yeah. And this is the house that milked them. <laughs> it's also weird, you know. I, I mentioned uh, like sublimated like psychosexuality, uh, and and this was the the movie that kind of got me on that theme. And then the rest of these things that I watched, it was like, oh shit, it's like a running theme through all of these. But um. Like equating, uh, so so the only things that can kill the trolls are either milk or unconditional mother's love, uh, but 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 mother's love is it's literally just making out. <laughs> <laughs> so so you've got basically you've got you've got like titty juice and making out, and that's that's what that's what can end this horror. Um, which I don't know. I guess that, that that probably resonates with uh with kids like just on the verge of puberty or just after, you know. Uh, it's incredibly edible. Yeah, there's something deeply <laughs> yeah. Freudian about this whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you see, like uh, you know, when the when the when all of the trolls end up popping out in a, in a very gremlins fashion, um, a lot of them are uh they're they're brandishing like whips. They're like, you know, handcuffing people to things and like tying people down and whipping them. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot going on there. Uh, That's why it's a movie. Yeah, picture. it seems totally, totally regular and normal to me. I, <laughs> uh, I also my, noticed some. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say my favorite moment is the one that like swallows the cop's bullets and then shoots them out and gets them oh, shot yeah. at the cop by like. <laughs> coughing them out of its mouth. <laughs> There's a lot of cop stuff in all of these movies. Um, and uh, I looked up the IMDB page for the guy who plays, uh, I think it's Sheriff Binder, the, mm-hmm. the main cop in this movie, um, who this is like the only movie he ever did. Um, and he wasn't a cop, but he did go on to make over 100 episodes of TV shows about cops, including... Um, America's dumbest criminals, and also hosted a bunch of America's most wanted. And it's like, oh, that's awesome! Yeah, like this guy just really, really wanted to be a cop, but he wanted to like <laughs> be a cop, like you know, in the public eye, you know, in 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 mass culture, I guess. Yeah, he's just really into stealing cop valor. <laughs> that's his whole Right. <laughs> imagine, imagine how much it must like burn your soul that the closest to your dream you ever really got was Ernest Scared Stupid. <laughs> <laughs> just looking back on your life and going i have no regrets <laughs> i also saw some uh, some interesting harbingers of things to come in this movie um specifically 
they wage drone warfare at one point. Yes, they do. Um, they've they've got their their drone flying around, and that by itself would be interesting, but not necessarily remarkable. Except there's also a scene where Ernest is preparing for battle with the troll. And he shows up in a vest that's strapped down with dynamite. Mm -hmm. And it's like, hmm, this is a, there's an interesting pattern developing here. Yeah, I wish Ernest would have, you know, instead of making out with the troll, if he just would have suicide vested him. Right. That would have been a really different yeah. film. <laughs> Ernest scared stupid. I guess the PG rating prevented them from really pulling off what they wanted the true ending right. to yeah. well, this Interestingly, was, This was followed up by the much less successful Ernest teaches children how to build IEDs. <laughs> right. <laughs> Ernest goes Mojahedin. Well, there is an Ernest, there is an Ernest joins the army. Yep. Uh, there's also like Ernest goes to Africa, you know. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going yeah, on. Ernest gets around for an oaf who's making like a garbage man salary. <laughs> and interestingly, this was the last of the Ernest movies that was ever uh, widely released in theaters. Um, partially because I, I guess adults thought it was too scary for kids, uh, and it got you got poor reviews from you know like parental watchdog groups. But I, my theory is that it wasn't that. I mean, there's like one genuinely kind of creepy scene in this movie, and the rest of it's very slapsticky horror. Yeah, uh, are you talking about the bed when the troll? Yeah, the yeah. bed, trying to under the bed scene. Yeah, um, yeah, where she she looks under her bed and she's it's just a teddy bear, and she's like, oh, and she rolls over in bed, and the troll is in bed with her. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of uh, sublimated psychosexuality, um, but uh, yeah, I I think that probably what made parents more uncomfortable about this was. Uh, you know, the the sort of implied themes that we've been talking about, um, you know, the stranger danger stuff in particular, probably just made them very uncomfortable. No, I, I bet they were just mad about all the boogers. <laughs> yeah. um, and they were just like, this is not appropriate for children. Um, they're talking about boogers. Although I do find it really amazing that even though this movie is rated PG, that when they kill a troll, it literally just melts into a pile of like Mortal Kombat gore. <laughs> right, yeah. It is just absolutely disgusting. But I guess when you're the movie censoring agency, you're just like, oh well, it's just a troll monster. So yeah, you can violently mutilate them, you know, all you want, and that's that's absolutely no problem for, for yeah. Children. You got to teach the kids how to genocide people who don't look like you. Right. <laughs> we're here before yeah, you. We're here before you. Know, you. On this, on this it's almost like there's a theme here. <laughs> That's that's the American way. <laughs> well, I think that's a I think that's probably good on Ernest Scared Stupid. We're gonna take a little break, and when we come back, we're gonna talk about um, more more movies that have to do with people who are here before us. Looks like you're turning into quite the little shopper. So you got your fresh produce and your fresh meat and your country fresh milk. Country fresh, burn fresh from the country. Country. Fresh, fresh, country. Catch my drift? That's why they call it country fresh. Now, it don't take no mental heavyweight to figure that out, does it, Vern? Know what I mean? So, I do want to note, there was some debate about what movies to include, and Paranorman was, was on the precipice of being included, so... I do want to give a little bit of time to talk about Halloween Town, <laughs> which... 
when I was re- I have never seen it, but when I was researching it, everybody was like, it's like Hocus Pocus, but not as good. <laughs> that seems to be the consensus. I mean, fair enough, but what else, what, what can actually live up to Halloween Town? And for the record, Halloween Town has a higher Rotten Tomatoes score than Hocus Pocus and a higher IMDb score. Really? So Ooh. what are we going to do about Man. that? Man, that's, that's, I might have to track it down now because I really enjoyed Hocus Pocus, but fuck that noise. We're talking about Paranorman. <laughs> Table flip. I mean, I have to be honest. The reason that I went with Paranorman is because I have not seen Halloween Town. And I was super busy, and I was like, I don't know if I, I don't know if I got the time to kind of watch loads of these films. Uh, but I, everything that Ash has told me about it means that I am going to have to watch it now. Yeah. If you guys do end up getting China Meville on your show to talk about Paranorman and I don't get invited, I'm going to be so fucking mad at you. <laughs> what is the... Or what about is Halloween the, Town. No, I was going to say, what is the Halloween Town China Meville connection? Does he just... He's just a fan? <laughs> uh, no, the only connection is is how ridiculous would that be for, like, uh, f- famous and brilliant horror author China Meville yeah. to watch Halloween Town 2, Calabar's Revenge. <laughs> <laughs> but, but... I think Ash is completely correct. If that is ever to happen, if we're ever to get anyone famous on Horror Vanguard, anyone properly famous, we're going to like pick the most obscure stuff to get them to watch. Chad Mivell, Halloween Town 2. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Who else can we get on and what can we make them watch? <laughs> I don't know. Guillermo del Toro's got to watch some like made-for-TV made garbage. John Carpenter. Uh, I don't know. Is there any... Uh... Any good horror movie about, like, video games or something? Apparently, he was, like, a big Atari fan. Ooh, war that games? would be cool. Is, is, is War Games a horror movie? It kind of is. Can go watch, what's that uh, fucking Gerard Butler gamer movie or whatever? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, <totally>. yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, that fucking movie. Jo- John Carpenter, come on, Horror Vanguard. Yeah, noted fan of the show, John Carpenter. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. You never know who could be out there. Right, true, yeah. So, yeah, I had never seen Paranorman. I, I don't think I'd even heard of it, but um, I did watch it today. Now, is it is it actual, like, uh, stop-motion animation? See, this is the funny thing yes. about it, because it is 100% stop-motion animation, uh, and it's by the studio Leica, who was originally comprised of people who did, like, the original Nightmare Before Christmas. Yep. We mentioned James and the Giant Peach. They also did that creepy, creepy movie. Um, and you know, this is their legacy lives on. They've also done, uh, Coraline, which is another one, uh, but this was the first one that they had done using a new process where many of the characters were 3d printed. So it gave them a lot more variety to do different character shapes than they were normally being limited by previously Hmm. and more like full body animation stuff. But the kind of the downside of it is that it almost looks too good that it looks just like any other like low budget CG like DreamWorks <laughs> straight to video movie right, or something. Yeah. And I tried to explain to my kids, I was like, no, this is actually like stop motion animation and blah, blah, blah. And they were like, hmm, yeah, I don't know. It's not, it doesn't really <laughs> seem like it that much. You know, it just seems like it's a bad CG movie, uh, which right. is hilarious because I think this took them like eight years to make or something like it's just ridiculous. Uh, there was like a 45 second scene like late in the movie and it took them like five months to like film that scene. And there's like 600 unique, uh, you know, character sculpt models in in the entire thing for all the different animation poses and stuff. Yeah, I mean, you've got, like, crowd scenes in this movie. Yeah. Like, the, you know, the mob descends at one point. So, yeah, so, uh, real quick, does someone want to give us a 
just a real quick overview of the plot for anybody who who hasn't seen this one. Well, plot, Ash's plot recaps are stuff of legend. So, <laughs> all right, Ash, take it away. I will more than happily. Yeah. Uh, so we are join our main character, Norman Babcock, a completely normal boy from the Sixth Sense, and definitely not Salem, Massachusetts. <laughs> can obviously, as he suggests, can speak with the dead. And we've got a theme here of crazy uncles too. We've got we've got Ernest, who's essentially your crazy uncle, yeah. and we've got uh, Mr. Pendergast, a deranged uncle who can also see the dead. Uh, Norman is kind of uh, the weird kid. Nobody likes him. Nobody really knows about his power, but everybody thinks he's just kind of nuts. Which I mean, fair. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sure. Yeah, if somebody was was constantly talking to the person next to me that wasn't there, I'd also be like, hmm, what's going on here? But uh, Norman, Norman uh, meets the, like this is the the most kids movie stuff ever. He's joined by the ragtag team of former bullies, total strangers, and cool kids to confront the zombies and ancient not Salem witch who have descended upon the town and are threatening to destroy it. And ultimately, the uh, the takeaway lesson is like. We should listen to each other, something like that. Yeah, it's, it's either it's either we should listen to each other or we should have like extra killed the witch back in the day and listened to the Puritans because they were right. <laughs> this movie's really ambiguous about which way we go. There. Yeah, I, I mean, it, the theme is almost in a way it's like reconciling like the horrors of your past so that you don't repeat them. Very big bullying theme in this one, also. Yeah, right. Because like even one of the bullies becomes part of the the ragtag band at the end. But ultimately, what are you talking about, uh, McLovin? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. What what Norman ultimately tells the the witch, who's you know just the spirit of this uh, like eleven year old girl who was murdered for being kind of weird, uh, is like now that you have all the power, like you've become the bully, and that's that's pretty much the breakthrough for her. That's like it's like classic whataboutism, you know? <laughs> right? Like it's you're, like, you're yeah. just you're just as bad as the fascist you're trying to silence, <laughs> Agatha <laughs> Pendergast. Has me too gone too far? <laughs> <laughs> 200-year-old witch seeks to claim vengeance for being lynched by town mob. <laughs> Has me too gone too far? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Back in the day, you know, you, you could just lynch people, and it was fine. Everybody loved it, and you can't do that anymore. Oh. The, a, th a thousand new comedians just got a whole new bit now. Great. <laughs> it does have a, a, a really weird sense of, like, historical revisionism, yes. right? Where it's like, if only you could bring the Puritans in charge of the Salem witch trials back, like, wouldn't they be sorry now? <laughs> Isn't that just um, the most ludicrous premise? Yeah. I, they'd yeah. come back and they would go on, like, Ben Shapiro's has a YouTube show, right? Or a podcast or something? Like, he right. would, would just go on that and be like, oh, this is not what I intended for America. And really, the only, the only reason they're even sorry about what they did is because they've been punished for it. Yeah. Ever since then. Not because they've reflected on like, oh, no, she was just kind of an odd girl. And it was it was bad what we were doing back then. It's like, you've got to free us from this curse. Like we, we get we get tortured every time we come back to life. And it's like, good. Maybe you should. Maybe the witch's curse was actually a good thing. Right. Agatha Pendergast did nothing wrong. <laughs> no, very true. Very true. She was a witch, though. They weren't wrong about that. They had it right. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of ambiguous, right? Because like. Originally, she's. I thought they were going to make a bigger deal about how Agatha speaks to the dead, just like Norman does, and that was the thing that uh, that they were punishing her for. But then, in the trial, 
she like goes Super Saiyan, right? And like actually calls down like a real functional curse. We don't really know what was going on with her like off camera. The powers here, like I don't know, it's got like the comic book problem where you don't really like know for sure where everybody's powers start and stop, <laughs> right? Because you know Norman, yeah, Norman's yeah. half Pendergast, right? Like the Pendergast blood is in him, so. That's how he talks to the dead. He's got that link to Agatha, whatever Agatha's power comes from, you know? Yeah, we need a, a Agatha Pendergast uh, origin story prequel. Where's <laughs> the prequel movie? <laughs> that would be a hell of a prequel. I'm, I'm there for that. Sad ending, though, but it's, it looks good. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it, though. It was a sweet movie. The, the pacing is very strange. Yeah. Um, like, nothing really happens for the first... Uh, 40 minutes of this one isn't that amazing to think in a movie where it takes you like four days to make a second of footage that you'd be like that's oh, a little slow guys <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, <laughs> can you can you pick up the pace like just sitting there being like yeah no we're just gonna have like a really long shot where you know he walks down the hall or whatever yeah. and it's just like yep worked on that for a month and a half. yeah right <laughs> yeah amazing I, I definitely i definitely share that thought about the movie like this is just like it's visually stunning and, and the, t- oh, the it- craft here is unparalleled you know, and with the like atmosphere a, that they create is yeah. just beautiful. It's, it's you know, just that, superb. But definitely, like, the plot suffers, right? You can't stat 100 into everything. Yeah, that, and that opening scene, or introductory scene, where it's just him walking down the street, um, kind of talking to himself, and, like, he's, mm-hmm. like, petting an invisible raccoon where the roadkill of the raccoon is sitting right there and all the yep. neighbors are like, <laughs> like, you know, like really nice score in this one. It like really sets mm-hmm. the tone of the movie, which is to say kind of slow and contemplative for a yeah. kid's movie that is about, you know, like zombies coming back and mob violence and witch's curse who's trying to wreck the world. Yeah. I mean, I think that's that because to me, it doesn't, it didn't strike me as, being paced strangely for a kid's movie because I think the kid's movies that I was raised on would be paced in exactly the same way where like not, not a great deal would happen. It would just be like a very basic story and you'd have some sort of climax about, you know, 70 minutes in and then it would be the end yeah that's interesting that 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 you said because you know like now that i think about the structure of this one it does remind me of the old bbc narnia movies <laughs> because in, <laughs> yeah, the fir- totally. in the first one so, fuck all happens for the first 40 minutes of that they're, they're, they're just kind of like dicking around a mansion until like they they go into the magic narnia wardrobe for the second time <laughs> is when the things finally kick off yeah yeah <laughs> that's how you pace the movie do you need an instigating incident 20 minutes in no it's fine (laughs) save that shit for act three man yeah but yeah they had to make like 170 unique characters and they're like each one takes like Mm -hmm. three to four months to make uh with the level of detail that's required and all that and so it does seem like if you're gonna do that You'd want to just, like, make sure that that is on the screen as much as possible <laughs> right. and get right into it. It is it is really crazy the way that this film was made. I will, I will defend this film a little bit, though. I actually really like this film. and Oh, I think we uh, all liked it. It's just fun to take the piss out of it. No, totally, <laughs> totally. But what I really like about it is that the way that I, I read this film is that me and Ash were talking about this earlier, and he says that uh, he made a very good point that kind of a witch doesn't get the justice that she deserves. But really, I think the whole point of this film is like, there are certain crimes which, like, whatever, justice wouldn't be sufficient anyway. So if anything, yeah, she did nothing wrong. And actually, she probably would have been right to uh, destroy the entire town. But by so doing, 
do you not do you not kind of just Benjamin Walter Benjamin talks about this in his philosophy of history that you have to have a future that redeems not just the present but all of the mistakes of the mm-hmm. past. Yeah. And I think that's what this film is going for. Can you create a kind of society where instead of like fearing the dead and reproducing the violence that was done to them, can we create a society that doesn't just redeem all of the shitty things that we do to each other, the very kind of straightforward bullying point, but can we also have a society wherein the dead are also included and memorialized and respected as they should be? I completely agree with you, but I'm not quite sure the film does because the, through, through the film, we're never presented with that moment where like the, the, only, the only reason we get to this moment where like Agatha's forced to heal and like they stop the cycle of imprisoning the, the zombies by reading them the better by reading Agatha the, the bedtime story is, is because like the puritanical zombies want to break out of the curse, right? It's justice for the people who effectively lynched Agatha and not really anything restorative for Agatha herself. Like, it's not on Agatha's terms, you know? Oh, yeah, the the zombies never mm. even apologize. Yeah. They just yeah. look sad. Yeah, they just mope about. And in a way, I mean, the, the movie is sort of a, an indictment of the idea of punitive justice. Yeah, oh, yeah. You know, simply punishing somebody for... Uh, wrong that they committed in the past doesn't actually achieve any kind of goals i mean what this town needed was like a truth and reconciliation commission yeah totally (laughs) (laughs) restorative justice council for agatha when (laughs) right that was an amazing concept and i totally picked up on that as well but i don't know that the kids watching did i think the kids watching were mostly just bored (laughs) which is just amazing (laughs) in you know in a movie with zombies and monsters and you know all this stuff that it should be visually engaging, but yeah, my kids were not were not super into this movie, which I found very strange for an ostensible yeah. kids movie. But I don't know; they might be a little bit young for it too. Um, this is maybe more of like a teen based movie, but I don't know. It, it does yeah. feel very early teens, you know, like Norm, Norman's like a tween, and then you've got like the high school cheerleader and the jock, and, and like the punker yeah, boyfriend, the, the incredibly the horny, oh, incredibly yeah. horny cheerleader. Yeah. yeah. How do you? What do you guys think of the jock's uh, reveal at the end, where he's offhandedly gay, making him <sighs> literally the first gay character in an animated film ever? No kidding. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was really weird. Um, like I saw it coming. Like, it, it, it just yeah, seemed yeah. like it was being telegraphed the whole time. And then finally he says it and it was like, okay, yeah, but like, why? Why did we need that? He could have just been not interested in her. Right. It's like the butt of it's it's the butt of a joke, which is kind of the problem with it for me. Right. It's like, oh, he's he's a himbo, right? He's like an airhead jock and he's so oblivious that he doesn't right. even notice the hyper babe he would usually be into. Right. Oh, he's gay. That's why. <laughs> and, and like, that's... That, that, that makes his gayness not really a part of his character at all. That just makes it the butt of a joke. Oh, absolutely. You know, like we needed we needed a scene in the movie that maybe um, I keep forgetting the cheerleader's name, but like that the cheerleader doesn't see. He like texts his boyfriend a selfie or something or gets a selfie like something something. So we know. And so that the buildup is a little bit more organic and it's more part of him. And also so that she's the butt of the joke. Yeah, that, yeah, you yeah. Know, like, she's she's oblivious to all of these signals that he's sending that he's gay. And so she ends up getting her... It's not heartbroken. I, I don't know. That that character oddly played by, a like, Casey Affleck doing, like, a Napoleon Dynamite impersonation <laughs> right, right, or something. Yeah. <laughs> Which, like, all the voice acting in this absolutely kills. Like, everybody nails, like, their little character tropes so well. Yeah, it's got, like, Elaine Stritch in this as well. Right? 
Yeah, star studded. Yeah, she's the grandma. Yeah. Yeah, John um, John Goodman plays. Yeah, the, John John the Goodman uncle. is the oh, yeah. is the creepy yeah creepy uncle. I was kind of surprised at the uh, the exclusion of the nerdy classmate, the the female kind of nerd. Well, they uh, call her on the phone. <laughs> well, they call her on the phone, but that's that's basically she's in the she's in the beginning of the movie. And she's like, fat kid, like, come on, we're going to be late to class. And you're like, oh, she's going to end up part of the party, you know. And then they call her later and she gives them not any information, just like, here's where you might go find some information. And other than that, she's not in the film at all. Yeah. You know, I would have much rather preferred her character over McLovin as like the douche bully guy (laughs) who his character is just not great and maybe it's just because i don't like mclovin uh and i don't like to listen to him but yeah such a just such a strange character who doesn't grow or change really that much i don't know he like grabs the sister the older sister's ass at like one point right yeah oddly within a very strange joke it's it's very 2006 isn't it which is what like i the the kind of the reveal at the end strikes me as the kind of like Look, we're doing inclusion. Yeah, uh, oh, yeah which yeah. Marvel would do in like twenty. Mar- Marvel does the same thing in like twenty eighteen. Going, look, yeah, we're like, doing <laughs> inclusion. <laughs> they are like a decade behind the curve, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> the I think the one thing that really stuck out to me this in this movie as being interesting was sort of so the zombies are are they're in town and the townsfolk they go full on like old black and white Frankenstein. They grab yeah. their they yep. grab their torches, they grab their pitchforks. I thought that that part actually carried pretty well um, in this theme of, uh, you know, rehabilitative justice versus punitive justice and uh, the, the way that cycles of violence kind of echo down the ages. Um, that actually really landed up until the resolution of it, which is just these five kids, like, stand in front of the zombies and go, like, no, you're not going to do this, you know? <laughs> <laughs> the cycle of justice ends now. You know, and 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 for a for a kids movie, you know, that's a profound way to take this theme that we see in all three of these films about adults being, you know, useless or absent. Like in this in this one, they're actively antagonistic. Um, yeah, which, adults are adults are not only useless but kind of bad. Yeah, <laughs> and you need to and you need to stop them before they keep doing the bad thing. Yeah, that would be a A A A B, I believe. <laughs> That that is that is actually one of my favorite parts of the movie too because I think like that part has aged the best. Yeah, you know because like this came out in two thousand six, so you've like like the target audience for this film is millennials. Yeah, yeah, right. And like so you've got like the older millennials were all like ending or leaving high school, so they still relate to all of these characters, and the younger millennials are all like entering middle school, high school, so they relate to the younger characters. And like what what is like the main societal problem now, if not like economic conditions and like dominant media discourse has forced millennials to forever remain children while the untrustworthy useless adults crash the world into the ground and also you know uh, this being made in 2006 we were right in the thick of like post 9-11 yeah sort of like othering and watching watching the people who were ostensibly you know the responsible like sober people in the room just turn into like violent zealots and i think you're right that that's the part of the film that really i i find quite effective and affecting Mm, yeah the fact that actually yeah this is that seems very real as well from the kind of political experiences that probably quite a few of us have had people that you think are the ones who are you know the sober sensible authority will turn out to be kind of obsessed with violence in a way that's really disturbing 
and it happened so quickly. It turns out that the the real monster was man. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the real monster, boomers. <laughs> so this film is anti-boomer propaganda. It absolutely is. <laughs> Except the grandma's cool. And the uncle's cool. Yeah, grandma's cool. cool. Yeah, yeah no, grandma's un- cool. uncle's cool. Yeah. The uncle's cool. They can only be cool when they're dead. Right? They're, <laughs> ghosts, <laughs> right? they're, they're, they're no longer boomers. They, they exist in some other ethereal sphere. And death does make you cooler as well. I mean, that is the prevailing trend. You heard it here first, kids. Kill your parents. Um, they, will, <laughs> they will finally understand you. Great news. My wife is a target, and she has found... Halloween Town and Halloween Town 2 Calabar's Revenge. and Halloween Town High yep. and Return to Halloween Town. <laughs> Halloween Town High is the underrated gem of the franchise. Hall- Return to Halloween Town, the fourth entry. It's what you'd expect from a fourth entry in a made-for-TV Disney series. <laughs> right. Return of the Curse of the Halloween Town's Ghost. Yep. So yeah, the legacy is alive. <laughs> uh, next year, tune in for our uh, four four Halloween Town series in the full hour bumper edition. <laughs> it's a five hour episode in China Mayville's on. Sponsored by Disney Plus. Thanks, everybody. We'll be right back. <laughs> oh man, I'm so excited to come back for for next year. <laughs> trend I picked up on um, common across all three of these films is the idea of using school as an exposition uh, device. Uh, And you see it in each of these films. In Ernest Scared Stupid, it's uh, the nerdy girl, the really just like tragically homely uh, child actor. Just unbelievable that she ever got cast, but good for her. Um, (laughs) Giving giving a book report about the trolls in, in Paranorman. Um, it takes what you, they're putting on a, a school play. Mm-hmm. It's all about, um, you know, the witch and the, the, the trial and everything. And then in the third movie we watched, um, it's the teacher telling the story, uh, right there in the, in the classroom. Um, in probably the least horny moment of the entire, <laughs> no, I, I won't even say that, um, because, Max does end up giving Allison his number yeah. after getting like in front of the entire classroom. Um, I, I, I am, of course, talking about the horniest of all children's films ever. Yeah. Pocus Pocus. Oof. Unbelievably horny movie. This is where we all get horny on Maine. <laughs> yep. <laughs> are you, what are you saying that the black candle represents? Bro? <laughs> you know what's funny is I've seen this movie like thirty times. Big and I black never candle. Black candle. Oh my <laughs> god! Big black candle. Jesus Christ, Brendan. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. Oh, no, I, I thought this movie was amazing. Like, I <laughs> am so impressed by how well this movie held up. My kids love this. They, we cried, you know, it was incredibly yeah. moving. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a full package, you know, I laughed, I cried. I, uh... The performances you know, are good. Yeah. The, uh, like even the the child actors. Of course, it's a uh, it's Thora Birch. She was like, yeah, she was in a ton of those. Uh, she was in like Now and Then and other things that needed, you know, like teenage or like tween age actresses in it. Um, just terrific. Yeah, it's superb, actually. And yeah, course- I've never understood why everyone hates this movie. It got panned when it was released. It's still panned to this day. It's got its cult following, but like. This is one of the greatest pinnacles of spooky cinema. Yeah. Well, this is one of the most amazing things about me is that uh, this movie was released in, by Disney in July. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great choices. Oh, really? Great yep. choices, that guy. Yeah, it's July, <laughs> and it was direct-to-VHS only. What? Yep. It, it was originally envisioned as being direct-to-VHS, but it did get a theatrical release, but it was in July, and so no one went and saw it because it was a goddamn Halloween movie. Right. It was July. <laughs> Um, but yeah, this movie ended up losing money for Disney, which, you know, I don't know what the budget for this movie was, but like, I don't think it was that high. Uh, and apparently it lost like over $16 million, which is insane. Uh, But it is, you know, it lives on to this day. Uh, it, it is like, it is incredibly popular. So it just goes to show that, you know, even omni corporations like Disney make some mistakes every once in a while. <laughs> you know, and that's that's interesting. Uh, it's interesting that it was panned because it's such a uh, it's almost like a by the numbers like kids film. Yeah, right? totally. um, it, it, it has a clear three act structure. Yep. It has that that classic like it's going to start with a flashback that uh, sets up the exposition and then smash cut to present day. And, you know, introduce all of your characters very quickly. Um, you know, a plucky gang of youngsters with like one, uh, you know, like sage, you know, like wise person who's helping them out. Uh, that was that was the thing that I, I, I noted. Right. So in Hocus Pocus, the like the older person who's helping them out is Thackeray Banks, who's a black cat. And in Ernest Scared Stupid, the older person who is helping them out is Eartha Kitt who is black and played Catwoman. <laughs> that is way too yeah. deep for, for how, how I was planning on going into this. That is like ninth dimensional <laughs> reads into this. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, the cat was great. Uh, I was really impressed. They actually um, CG, they like full yep. CG the cat's face. Because I was watching it saying, like, how are they doing this? Because it actually looks really, really good. Um, so it's like a real cat or sometimes an animatronic cat mm-hmm. with a fully CG face on it. And apparently it was originally too scary and they had to, like, re- redo it and tone it down and make it more cartoony. Oh, wow. Uh, it's, it's clearly a real cat in certain scenes yep. when, like, they all go to look at something and yeah, the yeah. cat, like, hops up on Max's shoulder to look at something. And you just know that there was somebody just out of frame who just, like throws a cat (laughs) (laughs) credited as cat thrower two yeah 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 i was so impressed by the the cat work in this movie that i ended up googling the the like uh hocus pocus cat and it took me to the website of that organization that puts no animals were harmed in the making of this movie um at the end of all of their those films you always see that at the end of movies 
but they have a website that literally they have a monitor on set for every time an animal is used in a movie and they like document it like a lawyer like everything that occurred and so there's like a full record of like every cat scene and like how it was achieved uh on this uh website which is humanehollywood.org yeah oh my god half of them Half of them tagged with cat throwing. <laughs> as, as like an academic who loves obscure archival research, I'm just like this is uh, this is the greatest possible thing any human could be paid to do. Copious documents about shit almost no one's going to care about. I am so yeah. in. Hell yeah. But they'll be like, yeah, they're like, oh yeah, one cat uh, was trained to respond to a buzzer, so they would like hold a buzzer on the person's shoulder or whatever, and it would jump onto their shoulder, um, and you know, all this kind of crazy <laughs> stuff like that. It's it's amazing. Okay, so back to Hocus Pocus. So um, I, I find it hard to believe that anybody has not seen this movie or at least is is completely unfamiliar with it, but Ash, you did such a nice job with, uh, with Paranorman. Can you do us a, you know... 150 word summary of this uh, a little synopsis of this film oh hell yeah i can uh as you, as you stated before this is quite possibly and most awkwardly the horniest uh you know tween film out there uh we have our our cast of pluckable teenagers in, including the uh hollywood transplant <laughs> the you, you you met plucky met you pl- said pluckable <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah. so yeah it's behind the scenes fact all of these humans actually had feathers and the, the makeup <laughs> right. people had just a horrible time plucking each one out individually doing makeup over all the holes it was a nightmare debeaking thora birch was really ugly and that was that's in that archive too <laughs> yeah then, i don't know some fucking witches happen i'm lost now <laughs> Yeah, so you're setting, I mean, this is classic Salem, Massachusetts. There were uh, three witch sisters, the Sanderson sisters, who uh, would spirit away children off to the woods where they would drink their essence and it kept them young. But, of course, they got caught doing it and they all get hanged, which that's a pretty uh, graphic thing to have in a Disney film. Yeah. It's like, you know, all of the, the feet swinging above yeah. the, like, the hanging blocks. They were having a great time, though, at that hanging, though. They were cracking some some wicked jokes. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. totally. It was great. Well, because they knew they were going to come back, right? Which, of course, they do. And so now it's, uh, now it's present day and the witches are back and they are trying to they're they're trying to get their book back like our our plucky band of of teenagers have broken into the museum and stolen the book and lit the black candle um you know which can only be lit by a virgin um which is absolutely a thing that every little kid knows in this yeah. movie literally the last line of the movie is a joke about virgins the uh but yeah they have to steal the children so that they can like drink their essence and become and become young and powerful again and get like a two movie deal for sex in the city (laughs) yeah very much uh yeah very very much um like dark tower vibes in this one which uh i i thought was interesting too in earnest scared stupid that uh eartha kit essentially plays alma from the dark the dark crystal yeah Uh, basically yeah (laughs) and and in fact like I was I was kind of looking at Eartha Kitt in that movie. This is an aside, of course, but um, I, like the first time you see her, she's like using a welder, uh, like a a, a a welding torch. She's wearing goggles. Like her house is all. Uh, and I was like, did this movie invent steampunk? <laughs> it's like I cannot. You know, they use a blimp later on. Though anyway, so <laughs> so yeah, back to uh. 
back to Hocus Pocus, they, you know, they have to fight the witches. They have to keep the little sister safe and um, all of the, in this one, all of the adults are uh, immobilized, basically, at a at a big Halloween party that they've gone to because Bette Midler had to do a musical number. I'm assuming that was her idea. I think it was contractual, right? She wrote that into <laughs> <Yeah>. the contract. <laughs> right, yeah. Best writer. She does a musical number and, and hypnotizes all of the adults to just, like, stay at this Halloween party until they die, which is pretty dark. Pretty yeah. cool. Well, I mean, I think they... The 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 coked out the you know, Hollywood party like the couple from L A is like man this right. party was wild they right yes yeah. <laughs> you know there there are two Halloween parties in this one and the the one that uh, like all the kids parents are at oh yeah it's like kind of an an ordinary Halloween party but they also swing by uh, the the girl Allison's house at one point and she's like the the rich girl in town and apparently the way. Her parents' party for Halloween is all of their friends get dressed up like, like the Ancien Regime, you know, <laughs> like the the court of Louis the Sixteenth. Yeah. They're all like walking around in like crinolettes and uh, uh, like powdered wigs and stuff. Which That's is how rich people you've seen Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. It's... Eyes Wide Shut. Rob Zombie's Thirty One. Like. <laughs> So that's it, and then they defeat the witches. That's that's the that's the plot of the movie. Yeah. But. Well, and I thought uh, one of the most amazing things about the movie is uh, Doug Jones as the weird zombie guy. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Uh, Bill, yeah. Billy the Butcher's son. Yeah. You know, it had been so long since I had seen this movie. When I rewatched it, I was like, "Holy shit, that guy!" And it's fu- he actually gets to say lines, which is pretty rare for a Doug Jones right. performance. Right. Yeah. I do. I do love how yeah, they kept great. his mouth sewn shut for for a good chunk of it. <laughs> yeah, so they didn't have to pay him the speech. <laughs> I do I do believe that's why so because he does so much kind of prosthetic and heavy makeup work, but there's a part of me that does think that quite a lot of it is like, yeah, he can just stand there. We don't need him to say anything. We'd have to give him a like, you know, speaking actor's rate if we did that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which is actually kind of great because when he does cut his mouth open, it's just to tell off the witches for being yep. like crazy ex-girlfriends. <laughs> yeah. You know, just just keeping with like, there's so much sublimated sexuality in this movie. Yeah, um, I mean, just just tons of like when they're at that Halloween party and their mom has dressed up like Madonna. Yeah, um, with like the cone bra. Oh yeah, and, and and just the constant references to virginity. You know, like I I think I saw this when I was a kid because this came out in what uh, I was like 1993 or 94. Um, so I yeah, was, 93. yeah, so I was nine years old at the time. Like I didn't, I didn't know what virginity meant. And I think that's probably true for a lot of the kids in the audience when this first came out. Yeah. But I also think that like, this is part of the thing that has like sex and death and, uh, are incredibly closely related. Like that's just kind of a basic psychoanalytic point. Right. So horror has always explored the, the intersections of those two. And I think horror doesn't even like stuff that's, you know, you go, oh, it's a kid's film. But like horror is it has the same kind of generic principles. The rules of the game are always the same. Yeah, no, it's it's true. It's just it's interesting to see how. Okay, I agree with the premise. But again, we're talking about a kid's film. And in general, when you're telling a, a story for for children, um, even, you know, we've been doing the the Redwall books as a podcast lately, mm-hmm. and talking about how, like, 
you know, the one thing that never comes up when, like, the pirates take over a ship is, like, no rape happens because, like, all of the bad guys are just 100% asexual. That's a way that you can treat that. In this movie, they go a different direction. We're, like... Um, Sarah Sanderson, played by uh, Sarah Jessica Parker, yeah. like when she first drinks the essence of of Thackeray Banks's little sister, like the first thing she thinks of is like, "I'm beautiful again." Like the boys are gonna love me, <laughs> and then she spends pretty much the rest of the movie just trying to make out with people. Yeah, I, I do think there's kind of like, you know, because like ki- kids that are in like the pre-tween pocket you know not not quite like five or six but like the seven eight nine ten crowd however you want to break that up there is kind of like a knowledge that sex in virginity exists right the the conceptual structures are being built like like i mean like they they don't know obviously the mechanics and the the details right but like there's there is this idea that like Okay, like there, there's this adult thing that involves kissing and being naked and private parts and like and like it's part of the gross adult world or whatever. But like, you know, like the formative structures are being built. Yeah. So like sex is also quite scary. There's a lot of kind of anxiety around oh, all yeah, of that. Good point. Another Which Freudian to- film. <laughs> yeah. Huge, huge. So Freudian. This is such a Freudian movie. Like Freud would have watched this and just gone. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, would, he would just been like, sometimes a film is just a film and just stormed out of the <laughs> <Right>. viewing. <laughs> uh, that same friend that I watched uh, Ernest Scared Stupid with, we went on to Hocus Pocus because we were both kind of wired after it. And um, she made the comment that was like, how do we get like divorced dads to bring their kids to see this uh, in the theater? <laughs> well, um, what we could do is have Sarah Jessica Parker hump a broom yep. with like a full frame shot of like her tits in a corset. Yeah, and have every, every other scene she's jumping up and down. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's a there's a right. lot of boob juggling in this movie. Yeah, it is weird that they're supposed to the witches are supposed to be from like the 1600s, and yet you know she's just full on like 90s manic pixie dream girl. Yeah, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Not, but Bette Midler is like very committed to the 1600s yep. aesthetic, mm-hmm. uh, and then you've just got Kathy Najimy over there just always making a crooked mouth just for no reason. <laughs> right, like, I'm not out. sure why that character <laughs> choice has happened. But she's just like, my character's mouth is just always going sideways for no, <laughs> right. for no reason. Well, well, John, we talked about this a little bit uh, last year when we had you on for, for Spooktober. But um, I think the uh, the amplifying of the sexuality of the witches fits directly in with um, sort of the reason that witches were a thing in folklore at all. Um, the, the idea of women being, you know, promiscuous or, or tempting or something like that. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's a classic, it's the classic discourse around witches that Sylvia Frederici writes about. And we talked about Frederici's Caliban and the Witch on Horror Vanguard. Uh, subscribe to get access to the book. Uh, <laughs> we'll do plugs later. <laughs> oh, no, shit. Sorry, sorry. Uh, but there's the, the, this, the, the idea of the witch hunt, um, this kind of myth of, of witches being alluring was also a way of making them seem dangerous. And it was a way of policing and disciplining female sexuality as well at the same time, whilst you also impose a kind of strict rationalist scientific mindset that kind of gets rid of their esoteric knowledge or, or magic in any form. Ash will probably have better, more articulate takes on this than me. I think so. So as far as the hocus pocus witches go in terms of like, 
um, I, the history of depictions of witches and like gothic media, right? You've got like, I, I think that these three, each in their own right, are really interestingly transgressing into like uh, the spheres that are considered male and spheres that belong to men in media, right? You've got Bet Bet Miller's Winnie, who is just like down to fucking business. She's take charge. She is a leader, and she's like, I'm getting these souls. And I'm going to yep. live forever by dawn. Get the fuck out my way. Like, it's very, like, it is It is a direct masculine energy, right? <clears throat> and then you've got, like... Um, Although, interestingly, uh, on that, so, um, Sarah Sanderson has the power to, like, bewitch people with yeah. her singing voice. And uh, Mary Sanderson has the, uh, she's like the bloodhound of the group, right? Like, they have these intrinsic powers. Whereas Winifred really is kind of useless without her book. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the pro- that um, I, I agree. She has that sort of masculine take charge attitude, but also she needs the tool yeah. to do it. She oh, doesn't yeah. have any kind of intrinsic. But well, I guess she can do the uh, uh, like Emperor Palpatine force lightning. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and she can do a mean, you know, Broadway show tune for right. sure. Which, for sure, which is a power mean, that, in and of its own right. <laughs> indeed, sure. indeed, she's got power over the mic. But yeah, this this idea that that witches were all kind of like, uh, you know, sirens who are out to kind of uh, use their sexuality to ensnare men is just a kind of retroactive justification for like the violence that was inflicted towards women all throughout the witch hunts. Yeah, we get kind of like that same that same like narrative bit that we got in Paranorman just mediated another level, right? Like, so in Paranorman, we got to go back to the source, like that inciting incident where where witches turned on, like, quote unquote, humanity or whatever. But in this one, like, we we just get the, the, the first instance of the witches being killed off. Like, the witches are just kind of written off as bad for the sake of a nice, simple, peppy little plot. Yeah. yeah, witches exist in this universe, and they're uniformly evil, and they'll steal your children. Yeah, uh, fine. <laughs> there we go. Done. We have a plot. It's, it's blood, blood libel against women, sure. Right. But- well, and, and to keep it going, uh, I believe we've mentioned previously that Disney has released a sequel to Hocus Pocus, and it is a book yep. called... Hocus Pocus the and the all-new sequel yep. <laughs> in the worst title ever. But apparently it's about um, the couple from the first movie, the teens. Now they have a teen daughter uh, named Pop- Poppy. Yeah. Named Poppy, who is gay. <laughs> and it apparently is about her trying to, uh, you know find a find a partner in high school uh and also witches happen so <laughs> yeah, it is yeah. like it is just continues to happen it's amazing it's, it's like it's like this a... plot <clears throat> that's buffy the vampire slayer <laughs> <laughs> nothing new under the sun right. <laughs> you should have called it you do the hocus pocus and you turn yourself about uh... <laughs> that's the that's the sequel that's that's the fourth one <laughs> oh, right. yeah, dude. <laughs> Yeah, well, now that Disney Plus is happening, I'm sure that they'll be revisiting. It'll be on that. It'll be on that. Bet Bet Midler, she's still around, you know. They're gonna do like DCGI, you know, do that like Samuel L. Jackson, oh yeah, de aging sure. treatment or whatever. <laughs> no, it's yeah, totally de age her. 
Oh yeah. Oh for sure. Yeah, and she she famously said that she loved doing this, right? She said that she was like it was like the, the high most point fun. of her career at the time. Oh god, and the and the the three witches are obviously having so much fun with <laughs> oh, the yeah. They're they're chewing on that scenery. It's amazing that there were any sets left. <laughs> uh, like having so much fun doing it. It's great. Well, I think that's a uh, that's that's hocus pocus. I don't know, guys. Do we have any uh any takeaways that we could that we could say, you know, like really tie like what what is it that makes, you know, maybe a long lasting or a, a legendary sort of um, like kids Halloween film? I mean, I think uh, horniness is one of them. Yeah, take <laughs> take two heaping spoonfuls of Freudianism. Right. Yeah. Um, add in add in a, a susan of. Uh, absent or antagonistic adults. Yep. Got to got to have horniness. Got to have useless authority figures. And I th- also think it's got to be there's got to be like a serious threat. You might have you might be in danger of losing your soul. You might be in danger of being turned into a tiny wooden version of yourself. Right. Uh, you might be in danger of having the entire town uh, destroyed by a raging mob and a, a witch's curse. But I think there also has to be like a real serious threat. Couple fog machines. Couple, Couple fog, fog machines. machines. <laughs> I also think you kind of have to. You have to, on some level, have a lot more space for identifying with the monster than you do in like an adult horror movie. Yeah, hmm. you know, like that's not really in Ernest, but Ernest is also like the most forgotten of these three films. Sure. And then like in Paranorman, obviously, like you really relate to those zombies and to the witch. And Paranorman is kind of like a half witch himself. And in this one, obviously, like, if you're not relating to, like, Bette Midler and the singing witch trio, who's just totally maniacal and having the most fun ever, you know, like, there's some, there's some space for that. I think that's a really good point, actually, that, like, the, the one thing that good, a good children's horror film would not do is, like, shy away from going, actually, all of us, there's a kind of monstrous impulse in all of us. And maybe the stuff that we're told is really scary. We have more in common with that than we might think. That's such a, that's such a good takeaway. Kids, if you're listening, remember, <laughs> if you're afraid of something, it's probably just as afraid of you. Reach out. Kids, make a new friend kids, today. If, <laughs> kids, if you're listening, uh, do not tell your parents that you've been listening to this program. It's, <laughs> it tends not to be uh, kid-friendly, but we're glad to have you in our audience. Make sure you go and grab mom's credit card so that you can subscribe to the Patreon. Yeah. $150 a month is the minimum customary amount. But also, that's what all the that's what all the cool kids are doing. Yeah. That's what real adults do, little Jimmy. But I also think maybe one other thing is like uh it's these these films the things that are good about them is that they don't try and pretend that like the world is completely safe and, and normal because Halloween is such a cool time because you go, Hey, all of that stuff that we tell you to avoid the rest of the year. Yeah. Let's go knock on strangers houses. Let's go dress up as a monster. Let's go watch terrifying. Like, let's go watch yeah, movies about serial pranks, killers. Watch movies. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's a, it's a good time. Everything goes topsy turvy during, during spooktober. Absolutely. <laughs> which is what makes it so good. Well, John and Ash, the horror vanguard guys, it has been an absolute delight to to have you on and and watch these. Uh, I think the takeaway was all of these movies are good, right? They were all they were all oh, pretty yeah. good. <laughs> Timeless uh, classics. I, 
I am so excited to explore the rest of the Ernest Cinematic Universe. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real journey. Yeah, his cameo in Endgame was just phenomenal. I wasn't expecting that twist. Spoilers. <laughs> well, they they had to CGI him in, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Star Wars Jim, Episode Jim, Nine: The Return of Ernest. <laughs> Jim Jim Varney died from lung cancer from being a, a lifelong heavy smoker, which uh, resonates with me. Um, that's that's my personal horrific takeaway from all these <laughs> movies. <laughs> the real horror. Uh, also also a good lesson for the kids out there, I suppose. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. there you go. Yeah. I will tell you, though, the worst uh, Ernest movie is that importance of being Ernest. That was like, <laughs> it wasn't even funny at all. They, they don't mug at the camera at all. There's none of that Looney Tunes slapstick yeah. you come to love from the rest of the franchise. Uh, he doesn't impersonate Richard Burton at all, which <laughs> right. he, weirdly he doesn't. Ernest gets stupid. <laughs> Uh, also does blackface, which is also oh, oh god, yeah, he does. Yeah. Well, but it's his it's his multiple it was, personalities. So it was a different it... time. It was nineteen ninety one. It was within the living memory of all of us. <laughs> <laughs> Well, guys, this has been a lot of fun. Um, please go ahead and plug. Um, I mean, you you do you do spooky stuff. Uh, on a regular basis whereas for us it's just sort of a you know a yearly treat to get to dip out of the actual horrors of current events oh yeah we're, we're eating that halloween candy year-round it is nothing but treats oh. <laughs> we, did, we didn't talk about brexit again one of these times we're gonna have to do it <laughs> Uh, like th- that's basically a hate crime. You can't bring a British person onto your podcast and make them talk about Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> this is... That is true. I'm, so- I'm sorry. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, no, please go ahead and plug your show and your your various Twitters and stuff. Uh, we at the Horror Vanguard. If you like horror films, if you enjoy Spooktober, and uh, if you know that the the true horror is the 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 decaying monster that is contemporary capitalism. Please listen to our show. We talk about horror movies. We talk about radical leftist politics and theory. Uh, and it's a good time. It's a good time had yeah. by all. It's a it's an excellent time. Also a kid-friendly show, just like our show. Super, super appropriate. <laughs> Get all of your friends at school to listen to the show. Uh, tell your teachers that you're listening to the show. Uh, get your local politicians to listen to the show. Maybe maybe lock yourself in the principal's office and play four or five episodes over the PA, you know? <laughs> I'm not saying that out loud. I'm just suggesting. <laughs> John dabs on uh, capitalism on every episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's Yeet. basically, it is basically my whole brand. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, guys. Um, it's It's been a lot of fun. Uh, if you want more of our good spooktober content um for the next two weeks we're going to be doing our uh our role-playing game return to still kansas uh sequel to last year's playthrough um so make sure that you're you're following us on twitter at liquid underscore flannel uh and i've been tweeting pretty much non-stop uh, shadow over Insmith jokes uh, all month um, at my Twitter at Matt the Great with a W and Brendan. I'm at Brendan Williams with one L. Um, I hope everybody had a, a very fun and spooky time with us this week. And thanks again to Ash and John from Horror Van. Thank you so much for having us on. Yeah, thanks for having us. All right, we'll see you all next week. <laughs> <laughs>